0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Like I said earlier, I was going to continue. Um, we were supposed to end the series of contacts last uh, last Sunday. I said I was going to continue it this Sunday on the name of Jesus. Uh, but working you know, with the Stagers this past week, talking with them about how the enemy does come, not just in times of tragedy, but in times of big decisions, in times of conflict, in times of just tension in our lives, he comes and causes confusion in those times, which can distract us, it can get us off of the path that the Lord has for us. So uh, as I was thinking about things and just uh, thinking about that, that when, when a demonic uh, attack comes, with confusion, with distraction, Uh, what effect does that have on us? How does that delay us actually getting through the problem or pressing on to what the Lord has for us? Then this past Tuesday, uh, whenever we meet together as a team, a ministry team, uh, to pray, the Lord showed me three different passages that I really just had in my heart to share with you. Uh, but all out of the Old Testament, all pictures of battles in the Old Testament, in the natural that then correlate that symbolize what the Lord wants to do uh, in us and through us in a spiritual battle. So that's what I want to talk about today: is going to battle. Last week we talked about the Lord is our banner, so He is our banner. He is our victory. Can you say amen? Amen. That happens if we are confident enough to actually go to battle. So it doesn't change the fact that the Lord is my banner. He's waving victory over us no matter what. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't go to battle. Or when we are sensing an intensified spiritual battle, we don't know how to go to battle. We don't know how to discern what to do or how to approach it or how to approach the Lord. So Today at the end of service, what we're going to do, we'll end with time of worship, but I'll have a time where our altar team is up here just praying over anybody who is sensing an intensified spiritual battle right now. Again, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're caught in sin if you're in a battle. If anything, it could mean and most likely means you are pressing on uh, in a good way, and the enemy's attacking you because he sees it as a threat to the kingdom of darkness. So, If you're sensing that battle, all we're going to do today not all, but what we're going to do. We'll have our altar team pray with you when you come forward. We'll declare victory over the situation and we'll just pray for divine strategies. There are different seasons for different strategies that the Lord uh, would have for us. I've identified things in my own life as how he has had me approach an attack of the enemy differently uh, in different seasons of life. So we're just gonna pray that the Lord would give you strategies. He'd give you confidence to go into that battle. So when you do look up and you see that banner being waved, you actually believe it. Amen? So I want us to know, this, this, this should go without saying, but the battle that we face is real. There is a real spiritual battle. We need to be equipped to fight that battle. There is a spirit world or spiritual realm or spirit realm, you could use whatever phrase you want to, that was around before this earth was ever around. So the spirit realm was here before the natural realm or the natural world was here. Because it was here, the spirit, can you say spirit realm? and say natural realm. Spirit realm is the realm that you cannot see. Natural realm is obviously what you could see. So if the spirit realm was around before the natural realm was here, and it's going to be around after this age is already over, then it is the dominant realm. So what happens is the things that occur in the spirit realm or in a spiritual realm actually dictate what happens in the natural realm. But we get that backwards a lot of times. We see things happening here. And then once you know, a disaster is here on this earth, then we begin at times to approach the spiritual realm instead of approaching it in an ongoing basis so that when something does begin to happen in the natural realm, we'll be able to say, okay, something must be happening. Is there a demonic attack? Is it because we live in a broken world? Is it because of my own sin? And we'll actually be able to have ongoing dialogue with the Lord of what is happening in the natural realm based on what's happening in a spiritual realm. So many believers are simply unaware of a spiritual realm. We wake up, we see our hands in front of us, we see our face in the mirror, and we just go about our day utilizing just the things that we see instead of accessing things that we don't see, which is the Heavenly Father, which is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and of course the angels that he commands at his own will. But Ephesians 6 says this, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation just in in these couple verses because I think it just draws it out for those of you who just might not be aware that there's something happening that we cannot see. There's a battle going on. So Paul says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, which we could talk about, I'm sure, for weeks. I'm not gonna touch just on one thing about God's armor today. But it says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil the devil has strategies. God has better strategies. But we do need to understand the devil does have strategies against us. It's to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. He hates us. We have to understand that. This isn't a game. This is a spiritual war that we're in. We need to know how to battle. He says, uh, "'For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies.'" Right? We, I said it several weeks back when we were talking about the political issues of the day. We get so mad at the opposite party. We get mad at people that live differently than us. and We take all of our time to be angry at other people, not realizing that there's the demonic realm, a spiritual realm that's laughing at us. As we're fighting flesh against flesh and blood against blood, they're standing up there saying they have no clue what's even going on. He says, but we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Can you say unseen? Unseen. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, which are spiritual realms. So though we see in the natural, we're fighting a battle in the unseen world. The actual battle is happening in the spirit realm. So in this spirit realm, there are angels, say angels. Angels. And there are demons, say demons. Demons. All right, again, this is very elementary. Why are you doing this? Because we need to realize the battle is real. So a long, long time ago, the devil, who we call the devil, Satan, his name is Lucifer. He was an angel. You may or may not know that. One of the highest angels, some theologians would say, the highest ranking angel. Others would say he led worship in heaven. He wanted to be higher than God. He wanted to be worshiped. God wasn't having that. He kicked him out. When Lucifer was kicked down, right, out of heaven, one third of the angels went with him. So when we say the word evil spirit, unclean spirit, demon, when you see any of those words in the New Testament, when Jesus is referring to those are all fallen angels. Those are ones who used to worship God. But no, they chose to follow the path to worship the one who wanted more worship than God. So, even when we think, I've used this illustration before, sometimes we think this is God versus the devil. This is not an even fight. It's not a fair fight. This is not God versus the devil. The devil is a fallen angel. Does this make sense? So, it's like God, all of his angels, Lucifer was one of them, he's fallen. So, now in the spirit world, there are angels and demons in a battle. So angels respond to the Father, to God. He sends them on assignment, sometimes because of his own sovereign will, sometimes because there's an attack coming we don't see, but most of the time it's in response to our prayers that are in faith. So we're praying to the Father in faith that he will do something, and he sends his angels in the unseen realm on assignment to win the battle. Vice versa, the enemy, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, sends his angels fallen angels, his demonic spirits, his unclean evil spirits on assignment as well. We're not going to show, I'm not going to show you the instances of when this is happening, but throughout scripture, we will, we see that there is an invisible battle going on, but it is very real. So we need to understand that. So we're not fighting the wrong target. So the battle is unseen, but it's real. And we operate off of the the natural senses so much. Like if a big nasty bug came and attached itself to your arm and just dug his nasty teeth in and started biting you, you wouldn't like close your eyes and say like, that hurts really bad. Something's not right now. I can't even feel my hand. But actually I can feel the blood dripping off my arm. Like you wouldn't just ignore that that was there, right? You would take that thing and rip it off and step on it and get rid of it. But when things aren't working out in life, sometimes we like close our eyes like, I just have no clue why all of this stuff keeps happening to me and nothing keeps working out. I guess it's just bad luck. And it's not. It's not because the spiritual battle is real. And we need to realize that. Amen? So as we learn how to go into battle alongside the Lord, as we learn how this is happening, we need to know where the battlefield is and what our weapons are that we have to use. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, It says, for though we live in the world, that's the natural realm, we do not wage war as the world does with natural weapons. Those could be guns, knives, bullets, right? But they can also be very hateful words, division, gossip, and backbiting. They both hurt. Actually, the words hurt worse. Verse four says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they which is our spiritual weapons, have divine power. So follow this out here. We're not fighting as the world fights. We're not using weapons as the world uses. We are given spiritual weapons that have divine power. Can you say divine power? So they have divine power. They have the full backing of God on them. Now, what is the power for? It's to demolish strongholds, which are like fortified structures, We demolish arguments and every pretension. A pretension is like a claim made against you, an allegation made against you, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Well, how do we have knowledge of God? From his word, right? We we use everything from his word to gain knowledge about the Father. And it says, and we take captive. What that word captive means, it's like a prisoner of war which means you're taking an enemy and you're completely isolating them from having any type of power or authority in that war. And you're setting them in prison, completely isolated. That's what it means to take captive every thought to make it obedience to, obedient to Christ. Again, how are we making sure something's obedient to Christ? That it is according to his word. So if we break these verses down, We're not supposed to be fighting battles in the natural realm. We should be fighting them in the spiritual realm. We're not given natural weapons. We're given spiritual weapons. These weapons have the full backing of God's power to demolish strongholds that are set up, arguments, accusations, pretensions, and that is so we, look at what the the verses say. We are demolishing those arguments and we are taking captive the thoughts. Do you see that? So the spiritual weapons he's giving us, even though there are verses that say we're going to stand and he's going to fight the battle, we are still participating in this. We're not sitting on a recliner doing nothing. We are a part of this battle. Remember, God could have chosen to annihilate the the enemy in day one. But he chose to bring man and woman who would choose to love him back and say, listen, these lovers, that I love them and they love me, they will carry my authority to destroy your works. So there's active participation. So the, the first question is this, where is the battlefield? It's not in your workplace. It's not on a sports field. It's not in the courtroom. It's in your mind. Now, the enemy can attack your body. The enemy can attack situations and so on. But ultimately, if we don't know how to fight, he wins the battle in our mind. And I'm not trying to empower him by telling this. I'm trying to tell you the strategies of the enemy so we know how to fight. Again, spiritual weapons we are given, and we are to participate in this battle as he leads us. So one of the things I talked to Mike and Bernadette briefly about this past week was confusion, the spirit of confusion. It's a, demonic, it's a demonic attack on our mind that when tragedy hits, when a tense situation comes, when a problem occurs, have you ever felt this before? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe you felt it before, where you literally feel cloudy in your mind. Like you feel like you can't think straight, you can't see straight, you can't make a decision like where you're going to go out to eat at a restaurant, what you're going to wear that day. You're like, what in the world has just happened to me? And so what we automatically do, we start taking the weight on ourselves and we say, well, it's because of this stressful situation. It's because of the tragedy. I just can't handle this. No, that's not not biblical. It's not biblical that you can't handle something. So if you're confused, cloudy, can't make decisions, distracted, like you just cannot focus on anything, most likely that is a demonic attack on your mind. But you have weapons that have divine power to demolish those. Paul didn't say like, "You, you can deal with them lightly. He actually says you will demolish these arguments that come against the knowledge of God to the point where you can make your thoughts obedient to the Word of God, obedient to Christ. We actually have been given the authority to do that. So God's Word said in 1 Corinthians 14, that God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. So if you are confused about something, like literally you're in a a tense situation and that confusion, cloudiness, distraction comes out of nowhere. You can take that to the Lord and say, listen, I know that this confusion is not from you. Now, the devil and his demons do not know your thoughts. They're not crawling into your brain to know your thoughts, but they will try to influence your thoughts through either bad circumstances, through a demonic attack through small whispers of lies that you feel like if you've ever just been driving down the road and you just hear something completely crazy or just, just a, you know, a, a outrageous thought just pops up into your mind. You're like, oh my goodness, I must be a bad person because I thought this. No, not at all. Right? Like some of you, you just take yourself down this path because you had a thought. If that thought came out of nowhere and it's not edifying, it's not honoring to the word of the Lord, just assume it's a thought from the enemy, take it captive and move on with your day. Having a bad thought isn't a sin. Sitting and meditating on that thought and thinking about that thought until you actually believe it's going to come true, then you start living out the destiny of that thought until it becomes a stronghold, that's a sin. You're like handing over the victory to the enemy when you do that. So the enemy doesn't know your thoughts, but he's going to try to attack you in ways that will affect your thoughts negatively until you are in this point of confusion, almost like spiritual dizziness, and you don't know what to do. Now, I wanna make a note here. There is a difference between not being clear about something and being confused. Like if you are in a battle and the Lord's just not speaking what direction to go, you just don't know what to do right now, or if you've already been given instructions a long time ago, and you just haven't obeyed it, and you haven't obeyed it, and now that you're actually starting to do it, you're like, hey God, can you just confirm I'm supposed to do that one more time, and he's not speaking? It's because he already spoke, right? So the Lord being quiet or not clear is completely different than confusion. Confusion is I can't think straight, and I am incapable of making any wise decisions right now. Not having clarity is just not knowing what direction to go. So you keep pressing in, and you keep waiting on the Lord. You keep praying, asking questions, and then waiting on the Lord. Does this make sense? So this past Tuesday, I'm like, I know that your word says you're not the author of confusion. You're not, you know, you're not a God of confusion. And the Lord started reminding me of what he did in the Bible against his enemies. And he took me to three instances where the Lord himself actually caused the enemy to be confused. And that might seem weird to you. Like, wait a minute, God says he's not a God of confusion. So how is he the one, you know, giving confusion? Listen, He is not the God of confusion for his people. He's not going to cause us to be confused. He's not going to cause us to be cloudy in mind so we don't know what we're doing. So he told me, this is what I feel like in my spirit that he whispered to me. I was standing right back there on Tuesday morning. I felt like he said that the only legal, the only time that it is legal for confusion to enter is divine confusion that is from him against the enemy. Everything else is a perverted version of it. It's a counterfeit. So like, he started giving me a lot of confidence, like, wait a minute, he uses this in a divine way to destroy his enemies, and yet the enemy of our soul uses a counterfeit version against us. He sees how the Lord successfully does it, so he tries to do it in a perverted way, and he wins, unfortunately, too many times in that area. So I want to show you three areas, or three scriptures that he showed me this past week of how the Lord brought what I believe is divine confusion that caused the enemy to be destroyed. If you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, I'm just going to uh, uh, sit on three different passages just for a few minutes each, then we'll spend time in prayer and worship. If you turn to Exodus 14, this is when the Israelites, they were already set free from slavery in Egypt. They were about to cross the Red Sea. Okay, So, so Pharaoh eventually let them go, and then he sees like they took all of our silver, all of our gold. He relents. He changes his mind, and now he starts chasing them. So they're free from slavery, but they're not safe at all. So in front of them is the Red Sea, and behind them is an an ensuing army. We already know uh, from last week that the Lord used the staff of God in Moses' hand to perform uh, several miracles. So in starting at verse 21, it says this, Moses stretched out, so God told him, stretch out his hand over the sea. And it says, and all night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water to the right and to their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from a pillar, from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. Now, I want to stop here and reiterate. You are not praying in the new covenant. You are not praying that the Lord would throw another human being into confusion. The natural battle of the Old Testament is a picture of the spiritual battle in the New Testament. That's why I took time to read two verses or two portions of scripture saying that this is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people, it's a spiritual battle. Can you say amen? Amen. So the Lord chooses divinely to throw the Egyptian army who are pursuing his children into confusion. And it says in verse 25, He jammed the wheels of their chariot so that they had difficulty driving. The Egyptians said. Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. That's what we want to happen in our spiritual battles. We want the demonic forces that are trying to attack our minds, attack our family, attack our situation to be sent in such a confusion that they say, obviously the Lord is fighting for this individual or for the family. We're out of here. So the Lord throws them into confusion early in the morning most likely right before dawn. So they're exhausted, they're tired, and he throws them into confusion. He also jams their will so they can't make any more progress. In verse 26, it says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. That's what we want to happen with our enemy. Unclean, evil spirits that chose to follow Lucifer have no legal right messing with us. We want them to know that the Lord is fighting for us to a point where they flee. So it says the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So the devil sees this happen, so he tries to counterfeit it. So what does he do? What happened here? They chased them all night. It was the last watch of the night, right before dawn, and the Lord stowed them into confusion. What does the enemy try to do to us? When we're exhausted, when we're tired, and when we're worn out, he starts to confuse us. He starts to cause distraction. He starts to cause that cloudiness in our mind. And he starts to what? Jam our wheels. Confusion is going to stall progress in our life. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to jam our wheels, just like you saw the Lord do successfully. He's trying to cause confusion. But he's doing it in an illegal way. In the spirit realm, that is not legal for a demonic attack of that sort. So how did Moses go to battle before God even acted on his behalf. He did two things. He raised the staff and he stood strong. This is what Moses, this is how Moses fought his battle. Could you imagine him like everybody else is running across there away from the Egyptian army, like trying to get on the other side. And Moses was called to stand. So what was the staff for? That was the authority and the power of the Lord. Standing firm is the persistence that we have, right? The ability to stand firm in battle. I read from Ephesians chapter six earlier. There's another verse in verse 13 that says this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to do what? Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. This is what we're supposed to do is to stand. Many Christians don't stand long enough in the midst of battle. We do what the Egyptians did. We just do the reverse. We say, well, I'm starting to get confused. I'm starting to be distracted. I don't know what to do. So I don't know. The enemy must be fighting against me. And they're out. And they leave the battle that the Lord's saying, just raise my banner and stand. So I'm asking the Lord, why aren't we standing? He's saying the foundation isn't strong enough. Where do we get our foundation from? God's word. If you go down in these verses, in Ephesians chapter six, start at verse 17. It talks about the helmet of salvation, but then it ends with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So it's a spiritual weapon that we've been given is his word. The more we know his word, the more we can look up his word, even in a situation like this. Like use a concordance, an old fashioned one, or use the internet. Bible verses on and put your topic in and don't, li- don't read all the articles that are read from different points of view, look at what scriptures are coming up. Biblegateway.com, studylight.com, their blueletterbible.com. There are plenty of resources that are just going to give you his word. Then you get into the word until it speaks to you. The Lord has spoken to me a hundred different ways about confusion, about the Lord sending confusion to our church family in this tragedy. And yet he showed me three areas where he caused confusion and that gave me so much confidence that he's the only one allowed to do it. And he does it against demonic forces, never against people. So we have a weapon. It's called the word of God. Second scripture he showed me was from Joshua chapter 10, if you want to turn there. So there were five evil kings who joined forces to defeat a city called Gibeon. Why did they want to fight Gibeon? Because they made a peace treaty with Joshua. So the army of these five kings, they're attacking Gibeon and Gibeon is smart. They call Joshua. They say, hey, like we need you to defend us and to fight for us. So in Joshua chapter 10, starting at verse seven, he says this, Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. I love how God talks to us in past tense, though it hasn't happened before. I have given them into your hand. I have forgiven you. I have healed you. You're like, but I'm still sick. I have healed you. Like it's already been paid. I have forgiven you, but I haven't repented yet. But Jesus paid. Like, so he's speaking from outside of time, and he's saying, I have given them already into your hand. That confuses us, but it should give us confidence, because God's not the author of confusion. He wants us to have peace going into the battle. So it says, after, in verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua, who should have been exhausted, right, Marching all night with his best men. Should have been tired. Should have been able to be susceptible to the enemy. But instead of that, it says Joshua took them. Joshua took them by surprise. Which means even when we're exhausted, even when we're tired, even when we're weak in the flesh, we should be able to take the enemy by surprise with the Lord fighting our battles. So verse 10, what happens here? They're marching up. The Lord threw them into confusion right before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road. So watch what happens. is As they fled again, the enemy is now fleeing. Like This this just boggles my mind. In verse 11, it says that the Lord, in his own sovereignty, again, this is a picture of the enemy, the devil and his demons now in the new covenant. The Lord hurls large hailstones down at them. It says, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So he throws them into confusion, divine confusion. And then he ends up eliminating more of them sovereignly because he saw Joshua was willing to go and fight. So what does the enemy try to do? He tries to cause confusion and doubt and fear so that we never turn around from where we are and actually go into battle. So what what did Joshua have to do? Did Did the Lord say, I have given you, given them into your hands before or after he left for Gibeon? Check your verses. What happens first? Does Joshua begin to march first? Or does the Lord say, hey, while you're sitting down, before you ever leave, I got this. I just read it. Verse seven. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army. He's bringing the best men he has. And then the Lord says to Joshua, I have given them into your hand. So that shows me something is we have to actually be willing to get off of our recliner and be walking into battle. We have to have faith that he really is our banner and he really has given us the tools and the weapons that we need and he's really gonna provide for us and he's really gonna bring us victory. And after he sees a child of God walking toward battle, willing to go with him, he says, now that I see you're willing, I got this. I've already given them into your hand. So the Lord's like telling me, I think he's telling me to tell you, we have to quit avoiding our battles. We have to quit hiding and take a step of faith when the enemy attacks. I read it last week in Deuteronomy 20. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. So if you're hiding in a corner, the Lord's not going to fight your battle for you as you are willing in faith to step out and press into him and read his word and find in the word where truth is according to your situation, then he begins to fight your battle. So it says here that Joshua marched all night. Again, the enemy will try to attack us and attack us and attack us when we're tired, exhausted, worn out. But I love what this said. They marched all night and he still surprised them. The Lord took me to two verses here in in Psalm 23, 4. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. We usually read those at funeral, uh, in, in, in memorial services or funeral services. It's not necessarily talking about somebody passing away. It's talking about somebody walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It does not say, even though I sit down and take a nap in the valley of the shadow of death. Where, in fact, in Psalm 23, where are you lying down at? yeah. He, the shepherd, gives us rest in the green pastures. In the valley of the shadow of death, we're walking. He didn't say, bring your chair, bring your beanbag, and take a rest here. Right? So he wants us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll give us rest in the green pastures. And then eventually, he's going to prepare the table right before our enemies. In Psalm 30, verse five, it says, weeping may stay for the night. So you might be in a night season where you're weeping, where there's sorrow, where there's wondering, where there's, how did this happen? When is this going to end? But the promise is that joy or rejoicing comes in the morning. So the more you believe that, the more you're gonna be willing to step out and go to battle, and then the more the Lord is gonna come right beside you and fight that battle for you. The last one I want to share is from uh, 2 Chronicles 20. If you want to turn there, if you've been flipping with me, this is the last one and we'll close. Bandia, you can come up now. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we have Jehoshaphat, who is a king of Judah. He was being attacked by the Moabites and the Ammonites. You don't have to remember the words. They were his enemy. They were Judah's enemy. So people came and they told the king that this was occurring. Again, I know I'm giving you like just these random pieces here. This is what the Lord showed me. I'm believing at least one of these is going to speak to you today so you know how to battle more effectively with the Lord. So they came, they told King Jehoshaphat that there is an attack on the way. So in verse 3, it says, Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved. Listen, he finds out a battle is on his way. The very first thing he does, he resolves to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So just in these two verses, there is so much you can pull from this if you're in an attack. First, resolve to seek the Lord. I mean, it amazes me in my own life how if a problem comes, I can think of like 37 solutions before I ever actually go to the Lord. Like, and this happens in like in 10 seconds. You're like, oh my goodness, this happened. Boom, 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 boom. Isn't it interesting how the solutions that you get in your mind before seeking the Lord are usually negative solutions? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? And it's like you have like the entire government coming to arrest you in like 25 seconds. Like, wait, no, actually that was all a lie from the enemy. I'm gonna step back. I'm gonna resolve to inquire of the Lord. Jehoshaphat could have said, let's get our armor on. Let's go out to the battlefield. No, he knew an attack was on the way. Before getting all crazy about things, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. This is very, very clear clue. A weapon he's given us is prayer, inquiring of the Lord. What else did he do? Fast. You know what fasting does? It forces you to change your schedule, to change your lifestyle, to say, something has to shift in this season because I'm under attack. So I'm actually gonna go without food. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to make a declaration that my flesh doesn't drive me. I'm gonna spend that extra time with the Lord. Something happens when you fast, when you go without food for spiritual reasons. Your spirit becomes more attuned and more aware of what the Lord is saying. You hear him, I believe, more quickly, more clearly. The third thing he did in this verse is that he called others alongside of him for unity. There's nothing I don't think there's there's anything uh, more reassuring when you're praying and you're fasting and you know, maybe it's five, six people, maybe it's the entire church family. For him, it was an entire nation of people who came alongside. In fact, the verses said that the children and the women, which they don't mention a lot of the times, but the children and the women actually joined him in this time of inquiring of the Lord. So while they're praying, while they're fasting, in verse 14, it says that the spirit of the Lord came on to Haziel, who was a prophet. Now, we translate this into the New Testament. Time after time again, what happens when people are together praying and seeking the Lord? The Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit falls. Every time they were given boldness and power. Back here, Jehaziel says in verse 15, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. In verse 17, he says, you will not have to fight this battle. So he could have got all of his swords he could have got everything together and just went after and said i'm stronger than them i have the lord beside me but he sought the lord the spirit came the spirit gave a strategy in this moment he said you're not even going to have to fight this battle this one god has completely so what were the instructions take up your positions stand firm and see the deliverance the lord will give you judah and jerusalem don't be afraid do not be discouraged Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. So the next morning, Jehoshaphat calls his men together and he appoints men not to get their biggest sword out, not to get all their armor ready. He appoints men to sing to the Lord and to praise his name. In verse 21, it says these men... We're at the head of the army. So the army's walking out, and these men, these appointed men are before all the men with all their swords and all their armor. And they, they start to sing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now to me, that sounds like a pretty weak battle cry. Not like, you're gonna be destroyed. The king of all kings is behind us. Give thanks to the Lord for your love endures forever. They're singing a song of his love and singing a song of thanksgiving right before a battle this is called the strategy of the lord we think we need to yell shout get tough put on our our big helmet you know ah, what does he say give thanks to the lord your love endures forever he has them battle completely opposite of how the rest of the world would battle it's amazing to me so watch what happens verse 22 it says as they began to sing in praise the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. Now watch watch what happens. It says, and they were defeated. So I would think, okay. So the Lord defeated them again. Watch what the Lord does. This praise and this worship, they just stood and sang to the Lord. The Lord sends ambushes and it says in verse 23 that the Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. But all three of them were coming against Jehoshaphat. But now what happens is the Lord ambushes them, they're confused, it's a divine confusion where they attack the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them and it says, and they finished slaughtering, after they finished slaughtering the men of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So, like, worship sets up the best ambush against our enemies. We want to we run sometimes. We want to fight a certain way. We want to do a certain thing. Inquire of the Lord. Seek God's word. Fast. Pray. And in this situation, the strategy was to worship. So I feel like something super practical like some of you don't know, you know, you might not listen to Christian music or worship music. You might not even know what we sing because we don't have the titles up there. I'm not sure if Dana's still doing it, but we can start doing it again. like every Wednesday for a while. We were putting up the songs that we sang this past week. So like download those, get get them online, stream worship music. I feel like the Lord's saying is begin to listen to it until you can sing it, and then continue singing it until he seems bigger than your problems. Then you'll know, like now, okay, I've hit. I've hit that pinnacle of worship now where he is in my heart now bigger than my problem. That's what worship is. Because if your problem's bigger than him, we're not worshiping the right thing, right? Listen to the music until you can sing it. Sing it until you are worshiping to a point where he is now bigger than your problems. Why don't you stand at this time? It says in verse 27 that, It says, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. Which shows me this, we don't have to come out of our spiritual battles worn out. We don't have to come broken down. We can actually come out of these things rejoicing. Understanding sorrow will last for a night, but joy, rejoicing comes in the morning. I'm gonna ask our altar workers just to come down at this time, our altar team to come down. We're just gonna give a few moments here before we enter into worship and close our service out. If you know that you're in a battle right now, if it's an intensified battle, you just want someone to pray for the strategy of the Lord in your life, just come on down, just receive prayer. We'll declare victory over your life and over your situation, and we'll pray that the Lord is going to speak. And we're gonna go into just a brief time of worship. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is the time. Come forward. Talk to somebody who's on our team. Receive prayer uh, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of victory or in the midst of a battle, you are declaring victory over us. That you are saying you are already given the enemy into our hands. So Father, we do, again, we just declare victory over every person uh, that came up here today. Father, for those who did not, we know that the battle is real, but we know you are stronger. You are mightier, God. We continue to look to you, put our attention on you, Father, And I thank you, God, that worship doesn't have to end when we leave this building. I thank you, God, you've given us the capacity to speak to you, to sing to you, to live as a living sacrifice to you. So God, I pray, Father, that you would give us the divine strategies of heaven for our specific situation and circumstance. God, you would show us in your word, you would show us how to pray, you would show us how to worship, even more deeply than we ever have before. And Father, we know victory is on its way. We know, God, for those who are walking through a night season, that joy comes in the morning. And Father, we look forward to that day where that table is set and the banquet happens in the face right in front of our enemies. We thank you, God, that we can be at peace even in the midst of a battle. So God, we ask you to empower us, encourage us as we go here, From here today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.